BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Time for a gamer. We haven't done one of these in forever. And really fun night in the league. Let's start in Miami where Golden State and Miami always seem to play amazing games, perhaps due to Golden State uh, having a nice time when they get into town. DeMarcus Cousins did not play in this one. Draymond Green barely played due to foul trouble. But Dwayne Wade hit a ridiculous three-pointer that looks like it might not even be a three-pointer but he somehow managed to lift his left foot up get his right foot behind the line after getting his initial attempt blocked by a heroic effort by Jordan Bell and Wade banked in a ridiculous three-pointer with Miami down two to beat the buzzer and give them a spectacular win beyond the insanity of the shot and if you haven't watched it take the time to do so now because it's it I mean he got a shot blocked didn't secure the ball again until less than a second remained I think it it was like probably like 0.7 or 0.6 and then he somehow moves behind the line and shoots the shot and because it was a three it turned a loss into a win which is a pretty amazing thing I, I always personally enjoy that more than the like tie that wins a game and it was a a wonderful capper off of what was a surreal, very weird game. Both teams didn't have their starting centers, you know, mercurial centers as they as they are, Demarcus Cousins and Hassan Whiteside. I think you noticed some of those impacts throughout the game, and both teams' rotations were a little bit weird because of that. But my single favorite crazy stat with the game, and I think this is a worthwhile place other than the in absolute insanity of Wade's final shot, to start with this is something that will probably fall by the wayside because of how this game ended, and it is this. Clay Thompson scored 18 points in the second quarter. He was 8 of 9 from the field in 10 minutes. That 18 points was not the most that anybody scored in that quarter because Goran Dragic had 20 and only played, I think, six minutes in the rest of the game. Yeah, presumably due to a minutes limit, he came in at the end of the first quarter, played 14, 15 straight minutes, and he had 25 points in the first half, which was absolutely an insane performance. Was hitting all kinds of three-pointers. Uh, I think he did it on only nine field goals. Obviously, it's nine and nine from the foul line. So that, that to me, of all the things that happened, other than just Miami getting an improbable win to boost their playoff hopes a, a little bit, is the base thing. If Dragic can just even get give them good bench play going forward or even get back to being a, a starter level of player they just desperately need real pure point guard play on this team because their offense has been absolutely dragging and I, I thought he looked good driving to the basket he was very aggressive with the three-pointer he drew a three-shot foul uh, as well and and someone who can shoot the three off the bounce they've been missing 
somebody who can really finish at the rim they've been missing so if he can just give them anything coming off of that knee surgery that could be huge for their playoff hopes because i do think in a lot of ways they they're certainly deeper and, and i think generally have more talent other than just that one guy who's the the main on-ball creator than their competition in the Eastern Conference playoff race uh, down at the bottom there. Miami is also right in that mix in terms of the loss column. So let's the top five or the top five after that you have detroit and brooklyn at 31 losses charlotte miami at 33 orlando at 34 and then the wizards i think are fading out they're at 36 yeah so did have a big road win today they did against, against so. brooklyn yeah so that that's what knocked brooklyn from 30 30 wins to th- 30 30 losses to 31 and so yeah maybe the wizards can make their way back in it but miami like there, there is an opening here if they if they can really put it together we'll see if that's the case i thought that kelly olenic had a really nice game overall you know had some nice catches and finishes you know not dominant defensively but kelly olenic rarely is and he was in the starting lineup alongside bam at and bam had some really impressive moments he had that crazy dunk where he he didn't even really dunk it it was he just kind of threw it in and got fouled which was really impressive and had some good rebounds as as he often does and so like miami had that and they got 25 plus from two guys off the bench because Dragic had the 27 Wade had 25 including the game winner and both of those guys especially Wade to me had a lot of creation to do because even though the Warriors defense wasn't great like they they you still have to really you do have to generate those shots and Wade hit five of eight from three he was was not not getting to the basket at will or anything like that but those guys did a better job of getting theirs than than I expected even though the Warriors defense broadly sucked in the first half to some extent it did i also thought i mean Dwayne wade was five of eight from three and Dragic was four out of seven and they weren't getting necessarily wide open looks either and then right. josh richardson was five of seven he actually got some better looks i i thought the decision usually the starting lineup for the heat in both of these games has been richardson waiters and winslow and kerr is elected to put steph curry on josh richardson rather than Dion waiters which i i didn't really agree with richardson had 21 points and he's just able to get his shot off over stuff and is just a more reliable shooter than waiters is so i i I didn't agree with those josh richardson had a monster game in oracle and then had a monster game in this one and i think putting stuff on him didn't really work too well uh curry struggled from three so did kd those guys combined for only seven out of 26 from downtown although thompson's seven out of 15 helped to counteract that a a little bit um we also actually saw a udonis haslam appearance in this game oh did we I, i think it was only a his fifth game of the season and he played six minutes in the second half and at one point just like spaced out to the corner for a three like relatively early in the possession and shot it extremely confidently i was like oh that's interesting because like you know haslam hasn't been an nba quality offensive player basically since probably 2011 at this point i was like oh maybe you know all this time like he's been working on his score three-pointer he was wide open he might have missed the room by like seven feet <laughs> like and it was like both short and left it was maybe the worst three-pointer that i've seen all season so uh and that was like the one shot i wonder if he's even scored yet this year I, i'm gonna look at that but uh that was pretty hilarious uh, they're because they're hurting for bigs with james johnson and Hassan whiteside both out right now um you want to talk a little bit about the end of this game here yeah 
And the end of the game opens up a couple of other points of discussion, one of them being the Warriors' center rotation. So DeMarcus Cousins did not play in this game. Kevon Looney started in his stead and did not play well. This was one of Kevon Looney's worst games. Bam broadly outplayed him. He just didn't didn't, didn't have a good performance. And so that led to a, a challenge for Kerr and the coaching staff because Draymond Green fouled out of this game with two minutes and 18 seconds left. And so you're sitting there going, okay, you know, the, the natural guy there would probably be DeMarcus Cousins, but DeMarcus Cousins wasn't playing in the game. So they end up going with Jordan Bell and that produced some real dividends. And I I mean, I guess where we can start is Cade. So it's a tie game with a minute and a minute 18. Josh Richardson misses a three. Kevin Durant dribbles the ball, comes down and gets a four point play because Bam closed on him a little bit too hard, got into his space. I thought it was a legit call. And so then the Warriors are up four points with 107 left. Yeah, Adebayo made a couple of free throws after Andrew Godala, who I did not think had a very good game in this. I mean, there's a couple of plays where he just like bit on Wade pump fakes and he committed a foul on Adebayo right before he was about to get blocked by Jordan Bell. That made it a two-point game. KD just throws it away in an atrocious pass, but luckily Olenek missed a three. Bell gets the rebound, hits a couple of free throws. So Warriors lead by fourth, 18.1 left. And so the one that people are going to forget is that Wade first hits a three with 15 seconds left to get it within one. Katie missed one out of two free throws. And then in just a frantic possession, Jordan Bell had about three separate stops on this possession as he's racing around the court with the Warriors up two, blocks Wade's three, Wade gets it back, and then somehow managed to get that right foot behind the line. I don't know if that was even intentional to make it a three. I think it just so happened that as he was recovering the shot, Shot that had gotten blocked that's just the direction he was going but he lifted the left foot up got the right foot behind the line and just in an effort to throw it up there as quickly as he could I mean great awareness to know how much time was left somehow banked it in and it clearly was before the buzzer sounded and uh great great win for the heat another fantastic performance from Wade although certainly five of eight from threes isn't necessarily what you would expect from the Warriors standpoint they lost this in the first half as they went down 24 points and they had trailed by 19 at home in the game against the Heat as well. I, I know you wrote about Cousins and some of the bad starts the Warriors have been getting off to. Well, they got off to an equally bad start with Looney in the starting lineup as well in this game. I still maintain a lot of it was just, you know, some crazy Miami shot making. Certainly they played well, but, you know, Wade and Dragic hitting all those threes is not something that's necessarily going to happen every time out. I wouldn't expect it to. And it, though it was, it was nice to see it and see a little bit more verve in Miami offense at certain points and they're going to have you know a a tough back-to-back they play Houston on Thursday but then after that they're going to be facing a series of teams that are kind of in in into various parts of this conversation so they have Brooklyn and Atlanta both in Miami and then they play at Charlotte and so if they can make it through that stretch relatively clean then they're in a much better spot if they lose two of three then we're we're having a different conversation for the eighth seed and it's probably not involving the Miami Heat so I'm very interested in how the rest of their you know the rest of their week and early next week how how that impacts the race and yeah we're still more than a month away from the end of the season but these stretches can be really important in terms of defining where this is going to go what do you think of how Steph Curry's playing right now he's been shaky I mean I, this game is a little bit different because I, j- I just think the world of Josh Richardson as a defender and Curry just he, he was forcing a few of his shots and now 
a forced Curry three is better than a lot of other guys threes just because he's a ridiculous shooter but he was bad at the start of the Charlotte game you know mostly missing it's not like he's taking abundantly like poor shots you know I've talked about this at various moments in the like in the report cards that are right for the athletic about Clay Thompson you know that whether he takes good or bad shots is very predictive usually of the type of game he has wasn't in this game incidentally Curry you know like in the Charlotte game just missed a bunch of looks and he was in that one he turned the ball over a couple times as well and then the Houston game he disappeared for moments too like there was I think that was the Houston game where he like didn't touch the ball barely in the first five minutes of the game and that's Houston went on that 15-0 run so I I think that the Warriors one of their one of the parts of Kerr that is both it's a double-edged sword mostly on the positive side is this idea of you know an egalitarian system it helps everybody else out but when your best two players are Stephen Curry and Kevin Durant getting those guys engaged at the beginning of the game can be really helpful and they've I think that's part of why they've had these flat starts Curry is up to now a career high in terms of three-point attempt rate almost 60 percent of his shots coming from downtown and also has declined in terms of free throw rate he's right back around where he has been for his whole career pretty low for a big star one of the things that made him so good last year was he actually got to the foul line 35 percent free throw rate assist rate has also dropped quite a bit this year down to 24 percent that is his lowest in his career since he was a rookie steal rate is down he's aging a little bit his usage rate is down a little bit at least he's turning it over a little bit less but this is kind of what you would expect he's not this dynamic going to the basket not as dynamic forcing help setting others up although certainly another mouth to feed down cousins is going to reduce his assist total to some degree and he's compensated for that by bombing more threes and he's up to a career high now in three-point attempts per 100 possessions even higher than he was in 2015-16 but the rest of the all-around game has not been there quite as much well, and something I want to bring up on 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 a point you made in there was that not only is his free throw rate down, but also his uh, his proportion of attempts at the basket is down. So that means you're you're sometimes depending on how it works out. Maybe you're getting fouled less, but you're getting those as layups or something else like that. And it, the he has the double also of shooting fewer shots at the rim, and he's shooting more from floater range. So while while Curry has you know he, he's shooting fifty percent from floater range, that can sometimes be an indication that you're not getting all the way there or that you're you know maybe you're, you want to get it over a guy as opposed to getting it past him and that can be a sign of aging as well another sign of aging is actually starting to take some responsibility for your health one of the most important things that we do for our health every day is brushing our teeth but a lot of people just aren't doing it right quip is a better electric toothbrush created by dentists and designers number of things i like about it i was just traveling for a bit over the all-star break great to have it in my dop kit all it uses is a single triple a battery that lasts for three months I didn't have to bring this huge charger with me. And even the toothbrush itself, it's basically the size of a regular toothbrush. It's got this handy cover that you can stick on a mirror if you want to. The built-in timer pulses every 30 seconds to remind you when to switch sides. And it's gentle on sensitive gums. Other electric toothbrushes are a little bit harsher. And they start at just $25 and are backed by over 20,000 dental professionals. The way to get started with them is getquip, G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash capspace and get your first refill pack free at that link 
link that's getquip g-t-q-i-p getquip.com slash cap space and don't forget that slash cap space url to let them know that you came from us all right why don't we hit on a little news here before we get to some of the rest of uh, tonight's action probably the biggest news that we haven't had a chance to discuss yet is the firing of dell dumps in new orleans it seemed odd with the timing that some of it seemed related to the optics i think sam amick alluded to this the optics of anthony davis getting injured and then just leaving the building and alvin gentry having to ask questions about that and he didn't he and dumps had communicated on that i would hope that wasn't actually the reason because that has nothing to do with how well the basketball team is playing and how good of a job dumps has done but you have always harped on this idea that once the gm is kind of a dead man walking you need to fire him immediately before he does more stuff to try and save his job and the short-term focus and sets the franchise back and New Orleans, I mean, they did trade Nicole Miritich for that unusual package of four second round picks, two of which look like they're pretty good, two of which look like they're non-entities. And they didn't make an Anthony Davis trade. There are a bunch of reasons why that may or why, why that didn't happen. We will see over time. And which, why, what, whether that ends up being a good thing or not. I mean, my instinct is that they're not going to get a worse offer, though it is possible, depending on a few different key factors. And... I would say, I mean, obviously, since we don't know who's going to have the job long term, it's hard to say how how this is going to turn out for the Pelicans. My instinct is that one of the winners of this is the Lakers, because we know that the deal that they offered, whatever that actually was, was insufficient for Dell Demp's ownership. How Like, let's just group it as management. And the Lakers are basically going to be offering the same stuff. Like they they can maybe do different permutations and combinations, but largely speaking, it's the same pieces. And so if changing one of the decision makers might change the way that they value those players and also passage of time, all those sorts of things. So if, if Del Demps thought it was insufficient and Del Demps is no longer there, that at least creates an, an option for a change in evaluation. And that could be a good thing for them. It might not be, but it could be. And I'm very interested in how, you know, I, there's always this challenge with, with a, a, a GM and they have to, you know, they're executing, they're working at the behest of the owner that that is their job. And what does Gail Benson and the overall management team for New Orleans, it, we treat it as a given that Anthony Davis is going to get traded, but what they prioritize is exceedingly important in terms of what deal actually gets done and who Anthony Davis gets created to. And the general manager is a part of that decision-making process. And so they are immensely important in the future of the league. Yeah, probably no need to do a post-mortem on Dempsey's tenure. I think that we have talked a lot about where it was that they went wrong with really trying to short-circuit the process and build too fast, never really... I mean, who is... I guess Holiday was the best player and who was next to Davis, but you really can't have any hope of competing unless you really get another all-star level guy. And this this season is probably the first full season that Holiday has played where he's been at an all-star level. Uh, he had made the all-star team in the East the year before he got traded there, but you know that was the East. Uh, Danny Ferry will take over for now. Ferry is nothing if not a pragmatist. I think we saw that during his Hawks tenure, which of course was sullied and eventually ended by a leave of absence when he repeated racially insensitive comments about Luol Deng from a scouting report. But it'd be interesting to see whether they hire someone else instead between now and when Davis can again be traded, or whether it'll be Ferry, in fact, who is running things, both Ferry and Demps 
old school Spurs uh, alums. And finally, the Pels cut Tim Frazier right after the Lakers game, and they may be signing a uh, Dyrus Bertans, who uh, is a uh, Davis Bertans' older brother, also a sharpshooter out of Europe. One thing I want to mention about Dell Demp's tem- tenure: I mean, there will be, and and there have been good pieces on on you know all the decisions after they drafted Anthony Davis. But it's also worth mentioning, you know, like in terms of his place in NBA history, that both the actual and the failed Chris Paul trades were both negotiated yeah. by Dell Demps as well. Like the, his tenure, you know, he started with them in August of 2010, and there were a lot of moves in that early stretch. You know, when they were still trying to build around around CP and and had those teams. And this is a really long tenure for a for a key decision maker on a single franchise. Yeah, and Ferry, I think, has a different approach. You remember when he took over, he traded Joe Johnson away immediately while he still could to the Nets, and what ended up being a brilliant trade. He also let Josh Smith go to the Pistons. That was also great to not re-sign him. Instead, he brought in Paul Millsap, Damari Carroll, Kyle Corvery. He just traded for him. He did a great job in Atlanta, really built up that team from nothing uh, around Al Horford and Jeff Teague were really the only holdovers uh, in that group from when he took over. You know, the Hawks made the playoffs for basically a decade straight, but it was a totally different group towards the end, uh, which Ferry was able to put together. And Dempsey, I mean, going back to the Chris Paul trade, the initial one that got nixed by David Stern was getting a bunch of veterans trying to still compete. Seems like, you know, that's probably the direction he was going to try to go to again. Certainly someone who didn't seem to value draft picks a ton so i do think it was time to move on from dumps i thought he had some successes the cousins trade the holiday trade was kind of panned at the time but given who those picks ended up being which was uh i think alfred payton and Nerlens and Nerlens, yeah uh he definitely ended up doing better there uh so now would the cap space that holiday took up plus those draft picks have been worth more and you know you don't know i mean that was that was kind of the the problem with that the signing of these young veterans was usually you can use draft picks you hopefully get that second star and then you can fill in in free agency and they never really had much of a chance to do that the only chance they really had significant cap space during Dempsey's tenure was in the summer of 2016 when everyone else had cap space as well uh where should we go next here well let's go an interesting little piece of news from chris haynes that draymond green is close to signing with rich paul of clutch sports marcus thompson wrote a wonderful piece for the athletic talking about basically why that was the case and the kind of uh, there's a great discussion about moguls and how the the business part of what what clutch is doing was intriguing but why this is significant is because clutch sports has been very well known for being aggressive in their negotiating tactics and whether it you know how much truth is in it that that draymond but draymond apparently believes that he took less than he needed to the last time around and that ended up you know arguably partially opening the door for Kevin Durant to go there and that more aggressive tact that Clutch usually deploys will be important both in extension negotiations this summer and potentially in free agency negotiations in the summer of 2020 which is the soonest Draymond Green can be a free agent. Yeah and you would think it doesn't really seem to be Clutch's habit to take the hometown discount and not test the market. On the other hand we'll see how Draymond Green looks this summer or certainly in the summer of 2020 he does have to his advantage that is a garbage free agent class as of now we'll see if how, how many of the guys from this year end up taking one-year deals to get into that market i think they might be wise to do so but you've talked about this how there's really just nobody out there for that 2020 free agent class but 
no matter the motivation i think he absolutely did the right thing dumping bj armstrong the fact that he draymond i mean the party line is oh he took less so they'd have room to bring in kd and eh, maybe uh or maybe they just couldn't get enough money <laughs> i mean draymond absolutely should have gotten and deserved a max contract and a, a player option probably given where he was and the fact that the cap was rising the following summer was not able to get that i mean at the very least he could have gotten the player option that would have still enabled them to get kd in the summer of 2016 but and obviously bj's had his other foils uh, like muddy Yunus done pretty well for draymond off the court though i mean draymond probably has more endorsements than you know most players of his stature to be sure but yeah that's going to be interesting uh, as well uh green also suffered an ankle sprain over the weekend but appeared to be fine these last two games despite uh, the foul trouble what else we got here? Jaron Jackson, unfortunately, suffered a w- right quad injury. And the way Woj phrased it was that he will be sidelined for the foreseeable future because the organization is being cautious. I support the, the Grizzlies being cautious. It is also remarkable that Jaron Jackson being out as a young rookie is making the Grizzlies worse. I mean, we talk about how rookies very rarely help teams. They're very rarely positive players. I believe that Jaron Jackson has been. Uh, Chris Harrington added in that it's a deep bruise in the right quads something he could play with but the team wants to be be cautious so we'll keep an eye on that i've I've enjoyed a lot of what Jaron has brought this year. I still think that center is his natural position, but the the Grizzlies would be wise to be as patient as they need to be with this because the incentive of rushing him back is nil. Kyle Anderson, who missed a, a bit of time earlier this year, also struggling with a shoulder injury. He's had bad shoulders for quite some time now. No reason to rush him back. J.B. Bakerstaff noting that it had been an issue on and off for years for Anderson. He, they're going to update his status uh, later this week, but you could easily see him missing a, a fair amount of time. For Milwaukee, they're running into some injury issues. Giannis missed their game against the Bulls, which they still won relatively easily with Nisornis. Then was on a 25-minute limit tonight against Sacramento. They actually put him in at the very end of overtime as they managed to win. Chris Middleton left the game with an undisclosed issue in the last minute or so of overtime george hill is going to miss at least four straight games with a groin injury hill never a particularly quick healer and sterling brown has also missed time with right wrist soreness they did sign isaiah cannon to a, a 10 day maybe they'll bring him back for another one in the absence of hill but i mean the bucks still have a ton of depth now especially since they have miritich i mean they really just have an embarrassment of riches on that team at this point so i i don't expect them to miss it much of a beat here even with uh, some of these issues that have arisen a story that I, I think really hit me harder later because of the way that it was reported kind of out of necessity was what happened to carl anthony towns so originally the story was really he was in a car accident and he was in the concussion protocol i believe he missed one game but his subsequent comments were that he that he, there was a, a significant possibility that he could have died in the car accident he was in a uh in a much smaller car that was hit by a semi thankfully he's okay he had that huge i think he had like was 32 and 20 or something like that in his first full game back which was fantastic to see but i mean it's 
you you think about just the the risk that all of us take, you know, every day. And it, it, it thankfully it, it doesn't happen too often to to athletes like that sort of completely off the court thing. But I mean, I don't know. It shook it shook me a little bit. Yeah, I didn't see exactly what happened in terms of the mechanism uh, of the crash there. But glad that he's all right and noteworthy that he missed the first games of his career uh, due to being in the concussion protocol. But it didn't have anything to do, obviously, with basketball ball meanwhile minnesota losing tonight in atlanta they went into overtime they actually had a lead trey young hit a tying floater finished with 36 points the first rookie to have back-to-back 35 point games that was enabled somewhat by overtime uh since alan iverson uh, back in the 96 97 season also had 10 assists uh, and eight rebounds young uh, playing extremely well lately and he did this really without a ton of three-pointers only was two out of five ended up getting 16 of 17 from the foul line at the uh, minnesota with their own injury issues with Jeff Teague now with the knee issue after missing a bunch of time with the ankle Robert Covington headed to Iowa to get a practice in with the Iowa Wolves and he tweeted that uh quote soon indicating that he'll hopefully be back here in the next week or so you would think if he's practicing in the G League now but Minnesota actually closed that game with Andrew Wiggins at the four Derek Rose Tyus Jones Josh Okoji and Okogi sorry and of course Towns who had 30 seven points but that's a big blow to their playoff hopes they had been getting back into it with some of the struggles of the lakers and spurs in particular sacramento lost so if and minnesota blew a, a nine point lead in the fourth quarter as well in that game what else we got here something i'm going to keep tracking for logical reasons is that mike d'antoni said that chris paul is playing in both ends of a back-to-back he he played 32 minutes in their five-point win over the charlotte hornets tonight and then he will play against buddy Dwayne wade and the miami heat tomorrow that game is in houston and chris paul you know obviously the with him it's just be judicious he's been dealing with you know dealing with these hamstring issues and we had heard that he might not play in back-to-backs the entire rest of the season so a little bit shocking that it's happening this quickly also Amon Shumpert left that game due to a sore right calf and Kenneth Freed left that game due to a sore left hip flexor so we will see how Houston's rotation works in their win tonight Austin Rivers and Gerald Green were the only bench players to play more than eight minutes and so that puts of course a lot of pressure on the remaining players who have a back-to-back and then we'll be playing we'll be playing Miami on on Thursday yeah the Shumpert calf certainly troubling coming as it did after an absence due to knee soreness and certainly any kind of lower body struggle and you know if if the calf is bad enough that he has to leave the game you you have to imagine that's going to be at least like a weak injury if not more and it does seem like james harden is coming back to earth a little bit perhaps due to was an elbow injury what is he has some kind of an injury where he's been struggling to shoot oh maybe it's the neck yeah Uh, i think it was more of a neck shoulder thing yeah yeah but he was one of 11 from three in this one shot it very poorly the other night as well though they won i think uh, as his 30 point streak finally ended, he did make it to 30 in this one but uh, did not shoot the ball well but chris paul has looked very spry uh, in the last few games uh, and that's pretty massive uh, and really the best thing that could happen uh, for their hopes uh, of getting back to be the team that we thought uh, they could be philly joel Embiid 
not going to play on Thursday. Highly, highly questionable for the Saturday night primetime game against the Warriors with that left knee soreness, same knee, of course, that he had scoped a couple of years ago. No real diagnosis on the soreness. A little weird that he had the break and then did play in the All-Star game, but not very hard, obviously, but that he wasn't able to get enough rest during the break. I mean, this is going to be nearly three weeks and also a concern for Embiid because part of why he's been so much better this year is he got into great shape and now if he's not able to practice maybe he could lose some of that and in the playoffs I mean they need him to really be flying around Furkan Korkmaz had surgery on a torn meniscus supposed to be reevaluated in four weeks that would indicate it was a trim rather than a repair but hard to imagine that Korkmaz will be in the rotation but John Simmons James Dennis Mike Scott the guys that they brought in were somewhat underwhelming in theory and have been underwhelming in practice as well for a Sixers team that has floundered a little bit after having a pretty dominating stretch uh, and looking pretty good right when Harris was acquired uh Boban also got a bone bruise and a mild knee sprain he's going to be reevaluated in a week but hard to imagine he'll be back that soon so it's Amir Johnson time Jonah Bolden time I mean Johnson has looked pretty cooked and Bolden isn't quite ready although perhaps he will become so now that he's just going to have to play and maybe it'll be Mike Scott at center but they don't really have any quality size left right now uh, until Embiid returns the Utah Jazz are still playing without Dante Exum per Andy Larson he faced at, he faces at least two more weeks though this was a, a report a few days ago of recovery time basically what happened was he sprained his ankle and sprained it hard enough to get a bone bruise the sprain is okay but the bone bruise is still a problem i mean bone bruises are are a a, a big thing that guys deal with so we'll, we'll kind of see how utah handles that on the on the point guard front spencer dinwiddie is getting closer to returning due to his thumb surgery he's been getting some shots up that will be welcome for the nets though of course they have karis lavert back now and the Indiana Pacers who actually lost tonight in Dallas to the Mavericks they played without both Tyreek Evans who had a PRP injection per J. Michael in his knee during the break that's not why he missed the game he missed the game due to food poisoning but also DeMontis Sabonis who is missing at least the next couple games with a left ankle issue fortunately that's why they have Kyle O'Quinn you know they signed him to the room mid-level and haven't really needed him that much he only played 11 minutes in the aforementioned loss tonight disappointing for Sabonis he suffered that injury I think in the last minute of their loss to Detroit so a couple straight losses now for that Pacers group maybe this is the beginning of their return to earth without Oladipo drama in Phoenix John Gambadora who seems to have a pretty direct line into Robert Sarver radio host in phoenix reporting that the suns could fire igor kakashkov that was shortly before they actually won breaking their 17 game losing streak in miami so he's safe for now james jones did go on to gambo's show and say no that there wasn't quite the vote of confidence but he had some encouraging words that at least seemed designed to indicate that Kakashkov, they wouldn't be moving on from him immediately. And meanwhile, Woj in a video on ESPN.com said that there's been massive dysfunction in Phoenix. I mean, you'll recall the firing of McDonough in the preseason, very odd timing there. They didn't really replace him. There's nobody with any kind of experience. There's a thought that they might try to get a president of basketball operations type in there above Jones, who's operating as the interim GM at the moment discussion that Jones isn't really out scouting the top five pick that Phoenix will surely have again in the draft or not surely but close to surely Jones 
firing back at that saying i don't talk to woge and that part of the reason they're not running into all the other scouts which presumably is where woge is getting this is because they actually sit closer to the action maybe they're buying a ticket or something rather than sitting in the press box where a lot of scouts sit but uh so that that, that's really interesting of like whether the Suns or jones himself are, are out scouting or not but you know woge is usually pretty good on these sorts of things now worth noting that james jones is one of lebron's cronies and and woge has never been too tight with them although rich paul does seem to have made a couple of peace offerings with woge he's had some direct interviews with him uh and then obviously sarver mcdonough was woge's boy and sarver uh has not really been anybody's boy except maybe gambos so all that just context but despite uh, some of the horse trading woge is usually pretty damn reliable so and uh dysfunction in phoenix uh wouldn't exactly be shocking we'll put it that way the portland trailblazers got a nice win we might talk about it a little bit further later on uh, against the boston celtics at the garden but they did so without evan turner turner reportedly last thursday heard a pop after injuring his knee and he was ruled out of the game i think it was at least a day early which is always a sign that the player's a little bit further away so we'll have to keep an eye on that they did still as i said they did still win the game 97 92 in boston and you know they have other guys that can step up in the rotation that's part of why traded for rodney hood and everything else so we'll we'll see how that affects the team moving forward we do not have more specific words uh, more specific news on marvin bagley yet as we record this and bagley went down with a knee injury it looks like an injury against the milwaukee bucks he was carried off by kufos and giles but we do not know you know it didn't to me when i watched it it wasn't like the greatest angle or anything like that i didn't see like any real like big time buckling or the kind of stuff that really scares me but i'm not particularly great at at diagnosing knee injuries on the fly like that so i'm not uh, hopefully it's not severe but we'll have to find out yeah, I it was interesting. He got leveled by the screen, but it looked like the contact was actually to his right knee, but the injury was to the left knee. I didn't see much contact to the left knee and but I couldn't really get an angle to see like what the mechanism was. So I Dr. Nate, or as I joked on the NBA cast, I'm really more like patient Nate. That's where my <laughs> my expertise comes from because I've just been injured so many times uh, to the extent you can call it expertise. But uh yeah, didn't see really what it was that happened to him. Hopefully it's type thing where you know it's a hyperextension and no severe damage i guess it wasn't there's no way it was a hyperextension but uh you know mild sprain something like that they did note that it was a sprain but you know that can mean something like an acl tear potentially as well but i guess we'll find that out tomorrow in new york deandre jordan has missed three straight with an ankle injury still not practicing so noah vonley mitch robinson have been getting more playing time and mario hazonia has missed five straight there with a leg contusion for the lakers lonzo ball will be reevaluated on thursday although no reports that he is doing anything of consequence in terms of activity so i don't think this is going to be a precursor to him potentially returning it's been quite some time now uh, i think is are we beyond the original timetable there i think it was four to six weeks initially although i can't remember whether that was to be reevaluated or you know when he might be back i believe we're into week five now so we're, we're we'll be there by basically unless he's they're like oh he's ready to go right now surprise so i mean and and do you want to use that as a transition into talking about the game we covered for the nba cast uh i think i would like to use it as a transition into a read 
it's time to just relax a little bit and find yourself a, a shirt that looks right when it's untucked wearing a regular dress shirt untucked that's not gonna look right it's it's long it's bulky you're gonna look sloppy rather than casual because those aren't meant to be worn that way untuck it makes shirts specifically designed to be worn untucked they've just got that perfect length if you're wearing an untucked shirt but it really ends right at your belt line that doesn't look right if it's going down more than a couple of inches that's not going to look right either it's going to look like a tent on you just having that untucked shirt that hits at just the right spot below the waist of your pants is essential untuck it has more than 50 fit combinations so you're going to find the right one whether you're tall short slim athletic doesn't matter they actually recommend getting a size bigger than you would normally get because they are well-fitted shirts and i found that to be the case for me as well that that's uh, the sizing fit me better going a size up the way to get started with them is to go to untuckit.com or visit one of their 50 stores across the u.s and canada that's a lot of stores they offer free shipping and returns on all orders in the u.s and you can use that familiar promo code capspace for 20 percent off your first purchase if you want the perfect fitting shirt regardless of your shape or size try the original untucked shirt and use that promo code capspace to get 20 percent off and more importantly for our purposes let them know that you came from us let's talk about that lakers pels game now we did that for the NBA cast. Your thought, though, was that despite the win and despite the utter farce, uh, or despite the win, there is the utter farce of Anthony Davis only playing 20 minutes and not playing at all in the fourth quarter. What purpose that serves anybody, I have absolutely no idea other than just to draw attention how the Pels aren't actually trying to win these games. He had 22 points in those 21 minutes, but the Lakers took it by six. LeBron James hit an absolutely ridiculous one-legged three-pointer in the corner over Drew Holiday to ice it. But your thought was really this is not particularly encouraging for the Lakers. That's right. I mean, this was a a strange game for a lot of different reasons and but one for me that was not that did not assuage my concerns about the Lakers. New Orleans shot 7 of 35 on threes. That's Oof. 20 for that's 20% and it's not like the Lakers were doing spectacular three-point defense. These were all contested shots. And yes, a portion of them, a significant portion of them were by guys that aren't necessarily great three-point shooters, but I mean, Drew Holiday was one for nine. Darius Miller was three for nine, and most of those came late. I All of them came late. I think he was zero for six, actually. So then he made his final three. And the Lakers' defense looked just about as porous as before. They were playing small, an overwhelming portion of the game. They didn't start a center. JaVale played 11 minutes. Tyson Chandler played two. Muscala played five. But they looked they looked pretty weak in those areas. There were some guys that had nice offensive nights. I thought that the Lakers' passing, especially in the first starting lineup, was wonderful. Rondo had some gorgeous interior passes to various players, including JaVale McGee. LeBron had some nice passing moments. But when I watched the Lakers in this game, given the context of where the Pelicans are in this, and I mean, if you want to keep it in the back of your mind, the fact that the Lakers lost the Pelicans in the last week, they didn't look like a playoff team to me, especially when you consider that they have to make up ground. Now, they might be able to do that because the Clippers are in an unusual place with with their circumstance. They traded away one of their best players and got back, you know, supporting pieces. The Spurs have have lost some games recently. I think they've lost like six of, they lost six of eight or something like that. But they're going to need to play better than they did tonight in order to make all the ground back. 
Yeah, I think that's clear. I mean, if New Orleans has a normal three-point shooting night, Lakers probably lose. The 125-119 final score is a little deceptive because they're playing very fast. And also, New Orleans defensively is just such a good matchup for what the Lakers want to do. At one point in the game, I think it was in the first half, the Lakers scored a higher percentage of their points in the paint than any team in any game all season, according to the broadcast. And the Lakers offense, they shoot the highest proportion of their shots at the rim of any team. And during the 27 minutes that ad did not play the lakers basically were able to get whatever they wanted inside julius randall was playing center check diallo doesn't really provide a, a ton of rim protection julio Okafor barely played in this game and so the lakers and then the pels also have no size in the perimeter so the lakers were able to run these split cuts on the perimeter put lebron or rondo at the elbow and then just find someone like ingram kuzma or javel mcgee with deep post position right at the charge circle and just throw it down to him and score i mean it was it was very good offense they have very good passers but the pels despite the lakers lack of shooting weren't able to barricade the rim at, at all to give you an idea of the lakers shooting in this game they're eight out of 25 but lebron was four out of nine lebron right now is the best spot up shooter it seems like on the team uh-oh oh cat's rubbing himself on the micro- microphone come on buddy you're gonna have to lay down come on <laughs> come on buddy yeah ho- hopefully that purring is a, a nice accompaniment to the podcast we're gonna have to put up with him i've been gone for a while so he's he's gonna keep annoying us anyway yeah other than bullock and it's interesting that bullock plays 36 minutes and you know caldwell pope plays seven and hart plays 10 and rondo plays 37 ingram 40 you know it's i guess they just feel and stevenson 21 i guess they just feel like shooting is not important or that these guys just aren't shooting it well enough or and i mean it seems like rondo is a lot worse defensively than caldwell pope or, or hart so I, I mean maybe i'm just not seeing something about that like Colo Pope and Harp are just really bad right now and, and Hart has obviously been dealing with some of those knee issues so that could be part of it here and I think he didn't even play at all until the second half in this game uh, what do you think of the way that Walton's been using his guys it seems like he has a much narrower circle of trust than than I would have expected with the way that and and who is within that circle is also is also bizarre and I mean I mean Ingram and Kuzma both played well in this game I, I don't want to yeah. I don't want to say say it. Uh, unambiguously those guys both and ingram getting to the line was aggressive but then when you're thinking about divvying up everything else yeah rondo like even if you think rondo is the best of your options play 37 minutes is a lot for him i mean and then and bullock as you said 36 so that's that's it i mean there are diminishing returns for a lot of these guys and something else that like i didn't think about it as much during the course of the game but was shocking once i really thought about it after the game alfred payton put up you know like a, a decent box score line you know six points 11 rebounds nine assists he was three of 12 from the field and 11 of his shots were in the paint nine of them were at the basket so he was three of nine three of nine on you know layups and well layups i don't think he had any dunks and then he was zero for two from flood range and missed one three and i mean he still is is a part of this a part of this because they just don't have that many other options though frank jackson had some nice moments in this game to be sure and i mean we alfred payton was plus four in the game i mean some of that was just who he was on the floor with but it's just wild how this team has you know has 
perimeter players they can't shoot and then is often playing you know while, while Julius Randle made two three-pointers which for a long time was the most that any Pelican had in this game they it's just the theory of this team partially because they're just in this weird holding pattern just doesn't make a ton of sense for being a you know as good as they want to be but of course some of that is because they traded Nicole Miritich yeah Peyton and Rondo did not exactly put on a paint finishing clinic in this game well, and also I cracked up because to, wait, one other thing, one other thing with that with Kendrick them is Williams, yeah, was Peyton and Rondo both not guarding each other at the perimeter was hilarious because it's like, oh, I know how to handle somebody like that. That's what I am. Uh, actually, I, I just want to talk a little bit more about the Lakers. I mean, they did not start a traditional big in this game. I mean, I guess you could say Kuzma was the center, and part of that is because you know, AD and Randall started for the Pels. There's not really a great. I uh, mean, you could say maybe a traditional center should guard Randall. Randall actually got up seven three-point attempts in this game at 35 points 11 to 12 from the foul line he he was dominating offensively especially in the first half and giving it all right back on defense so the lakers are going with these lineups that don't have a ton of shooting between ingram and lonzo or i'm sorry ingram and rondo and lebron is a decent shooter but you want him on the ball a little bit more and he was spectacular passing as well and the lakers had 37 assists on 49 field goals which was pretty impressive in this game we didn't see a lot of lebron just going one-on-one until very late in the game when they tried some small small pick and rolls and the pels actually did a pretty good job of defending those by pre-switching and putting Holiday in the action and then LeBron just hit a couple of completely ridiculous shots anyway he had this ridiculous and one and then obviously that one leg three-pointer I mentioned um so it'll be interesting to see whether that continues but it does seem like with some of these acquisitions Mascala who they traded away Zubac for for some reason Mascala only played five minutes in this one although he's been injured Tyson Chandler who was their savior earlier in the year only two minutes JaVale 11 minutes so yeah they only played traditional centers for 18 minutes of this game the player usage is going to really be something to watch now for the lakers meanwhile for the palace kendrick williams has been playing well but was only one out of six in this game didn't have his best performance we didn't get to see him matched up against lebron or ingram too much ingram had a really nice game as you mentioned getting to the basket but still only one three-point attempt out of his 14 shots stanley johnson remember remember him he was traded from uh what ultimately became the Pistons directly uh, in the Miritich trade one minute which was absolutely atrocious you'd think hey he's the one guy on this team who actually has the size to guard LeBron he's done it in the past has a little experience there and he's back home in LA and they only played him one minute and he took one terrible jump shot and had like a really ugly turnover during that period you mentioned Frank Jackson I thought he looked really good in this game just you know 15 points which wouldn't shock me if that was a career high actually and seven out of ten just looked very athletic getting the basket he is absolutely an nba athlete missed all last year of course due to that foot injury 31st pick in that 2017 draft but was a guy with a really good pedigree his passing has been a question mark he's going to need to shoot the ball a little bit better than he has so far in his nba career but he showed some signs in this one and hopefully he can be a bright spot and each one more started this year off so well I and mean, he's having like 30 point games early on and then had all these mysterious legs injuries and he's kind of just been out of it now I only played seven minutes in this one anything else on this one I, I we could do some bits and pieces on other games if you want yeah why don't we do that to wrap up so we kind of had as as our secondary game partially due to my obligations we had uh Portland Boston on on one of the screens and I mean this just looked to me to be a little bit more of, of Boston in a funk 
my biggest takeaway was that Boston really missed the stability of Aaron Baines. Daniel Tice didn't look particularly good to me in his minutes. Also, that takes away one of the front court options of of not of him playing with Al Horford. And you know, not, and Kyrie still had a wonderful offensive game, and, and there's still plenty that the Celtics can hang their hat on. But you know, this is a home loss to a capable team. Yeah, still uh, Terry Rozier also uh, missed this one, but I thought you know it was really Daniel Tice who's getting beat up to the point where i don't remember brad stevens ever doing this he actually played marcus morris at center and the blazers went to nurkic in the post and then they tried out robert williams he didn't really do too well either he got beat up by nurkic as well Kyrie was really good but they kept him off the three-point line and boston overall was absolutely frigid from deep five out of 28 but held down to a pretty low number in terms of attempts until very late by this portland defense and much as the celtics will complain about shooting five out of 28 portland only shot it 0.3 percent better at six out of 33 <laughs> they were 18.2 percent compared to 17.9 percent for boston so that boston can't cry that that's what why they lost the game Kyrie's 31 points came on 14 and 24 but zero free throw attempts and only five three-point attempts you would think that Kyrie would be able to get off more threes with the conservative pick and roll defense style and Nurkic hanging back at the rim but Portland's defenders did a really nice job getting over those screens forcing Kyrie to penetrate which he did successfully and he was able to shoot a, a decent percentage but it's still on twos even if you go 14 out of 24 for 31 points that's not just like unbelievable efficiency that you can't deal with and Kyrie also didn't really set up others he only had three assists in this one and was negative 10 had four turnovers so despite the 31 points on efficient two-point shooting it wasn't a game that he really dominated gordon hayward has had some good games recently 27 minutes only three field goal attempts in this one three assists he was plus 13 i thought he looked better defensively than he has at times earlier this season but still not a ton of bright spots in this one for boston and for portland dame lillard 33 points he killed it in the third quarter and while ennis cancer as shows that he is a terrible help defender and pick and roll defender still and the blazers bench unit got beaten up a little bit i thought that just the overall bludgeoning that portland was able to do against the celtics team particularly with nurkic was impressive the horrendous three-point shooting in this game extended to a lot of guys that aren't necessarily that aren't usually that way i mean seth curry zero for four dame was a respectable three out of ten cj mccollum one out of eight so i mean a lot of kind of aberrational games for both guys for both sides and this and for the boston they're what i would call the the three big men that got any real minutes in this game tice horford and morris those guys were a combined one for 15 from long distance in this game yeah tice actually came in shooting 45 percent, although it's only on 53 attempts from downtown but yeah i think every single one of his shots was a jumper and he was 0 for 5 that the, some misses that weren't close i think the most encouraging takeaway in this one for poor Portland. Mo Harkless has been playing well of late 17 and 10 played 37 minutes 8 of 13 from the field he had four offensive rebounds he's just looked spry and while we certainly 
uh, have been wary of that knee and the fact that he hasn't seemed right since having that surgery and coming back probably too soon for last year's playoffs they're starting to get some really good minutes from him and portland continues what's been an undefeated eastern road trip uh, against uh, some pretty decent teams and this is uh a more comfortable win than a five-point margin would indicate because the the celtics got back into it with a desperate comeback at, at the very end but this is overall a relatively comfortable win for the blazers Portland, I, I might end up talking about this more in the 15 and 60. Like, there, there's kind of a weird parallel here with them in Indiana, where they're absolutely in the mix for a, for a seed, even though people don't think of them as being like a conference finals type of team. And they could end up having some real big effects in terms of, of where everybody goes, because if they, you know, if they get even all the way up to the three, but three, four, five, six, like where they are there will be really important for the West playoffs. All right, well, I think we can wrap up here. Uh, anything you want to talk about before we go? Well, so I had that piece on DeMarcus Cousins. I, it, you know, I called it a status report of basically just how things are going. I didn't want to go too in de- you know, it's too small a sample now to make any big pronouncements. So I kind of talked about, you know, like where things are, what I've seen and where this might be going in terms of like, basically one of the ideas that I'm going to write on it at length later in the year is if he's not a part of their best five, how does the coaching staff deal with it? So that's there. And I'm not sure if it's going to go up on Thursday or on Friday, but I have a piece for the Athletic National that is on a on a, a very small topic that might end up mattering related to draft picks. And so it'll be, uh, I, I'm excited for it because it's this weird idea that, that hatched in my brain. I've thrown it out to a couple people and it might end up mattering. And so I just wanted to put a little sign in the ground saying, if it ends up happening, I mentioned it. All right, we'll be back tomorrow night. Not sure we're going to talk about you. We might do another gamer actually. I've been missing doing these. So, uh, and a good slate on Thursday night, but we will talk to y'all then to wrap up the leak thanks for listening across america bp supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing jobs like building grid scale solar energy in ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in texas it's and not or See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.